Hey everyone, welcome to Parallel Church, one church in multiple locations. So welcome everyone that's joining us this morning in Tabor with Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome to you guys. Welcome Lethbridge with Pastor Ralph and Cindy. Welcome to all of you. Welcome Claire's home with Pastors Brian and Heidi. Welcome to you guys. Welcome Lloyd Mister with Pastor Mike and Kara. And this morning I'm in Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha. And also welcome to all of you joining us online uh, with Pastor Tim and Jen, wherever you're watching from around the world, a special welcome to all of you. And welcome to part two of our series, The Rhythms of Grace. And in this series, I, this is very unusual for me. I don't normally share um, what I am in the moment going through. And I feel like even in in the preparation this week in this message and in the study, in the scripture studies, I'm getting as rocked and <laughs> shaken as, uh, as maybe you will be as I deliver it. And so this is raw. This is emotional. This is, this is something that I think is extremely timely. And I've had many, many conversations with all of you, uh, many of you this week. And I've, I, I've, come to realize that it's not just me that uh, God is speaking to in this regard. We're talking about rhythms, and it's based on this scripture, the rhythms of grace, uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. In the Message Bible, it says, are you tired, worn out? I mean, we could answer, you know, just yes to, to any one of those questions. Burned out on, on religion, Come to me, Jesus said, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. It's interesting. We pointed this out last week. Jesus didn't teach them just how to minister to people and to build his church. He also taught them how to rest. Right? Can you imagine this is early on in his ministry and the disciples gathered around him and they're pressing in for a lesson. Maybe they just saw him do some miracles or, or preach a dynamic sermon. Uh, but they're just gathered around and he's about, guys, I'm going to teach you something. And they're like, okay, we're pressing in. We're going to learn. And they're excited. Notepads out maybe. And, and he's like, I'm going to teach you how to rest. They're probably looking at each other going, wait, what? Rest? <laughs> like, Why? Well, the writer of Hebrews would kind of answer the why in this. We looked at this verse last week again. It says, for as long then as that promise of resting in him, the promise of resting in Jesus pulls us toward, on towards God's goal for us, we need to be careful that we're not disqualified. The why, why Jesus is saying that you need to learn how to rest is that resting in him, when you, we rest in him, it actually pulls us towards God's goals for us. It's not that rest isn't, isn't putting our goals on hold or putting God's plans on hold if, in setting them aside. Resting in him actually pulls us towards God's goal for us. And Jesus taught them how to rest. He taught them to rest so that they would finish the race set before them He's telling his disciples, I'm going to teach you how to rest in me because you're going to push towards the goals that I give you. And if you rest, it's going to, God's going to pull the, you, know, the, you closer to those goals. And he was preparing them for a marathon, not a sprint, so that they would not be disqualified before their time. And Jesus goes on in, in Matthew 11, and he says this. This is, he, this is where we get the title of this series. He said, walk with me and work with me. And I confess to all of you that I'm comfortable with working with Jesus or working for God. I'm comfortable with that. Walking, not so comfortable. He says, walk with me 
and work with me. Watch how I do it. And, and Jesus did that. And we can see examples of, of Jesus where he would regularly have crowds pressing in on him, demanding his attention, his time. And, and often it says Jesus would withdraw from the crowds and, and isolate himself and pray and, and walk with God. And the disciples, they often, they witnessed it, they saw it because they recorded it, you know, recorded, Matthew recorded it, John recorded it, Peter through Mark recorded it. And, and so they learned how to do how Jesus did. They watched him walk with God and not just work for God. And then Jesus said this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's, that's the word that we are parking this series on is rhythms. That, that whole idea that there's a rhythm of walking with and working with, not just, not just pressing, not just pushing, not just, uh, you know, working, but there's a walk with, and there's a rhythm that goes along with that. Jesus had a rhythm that was different, apparently from religion's rhythm and the world's rhythms. Because he said, hey, if, you're, if religion is you're burning you out, if, if you're worn out and tired by the, the rhythms of society, right? He says, come on, he says, come to me. I'll show you a different rhythm. Paul would come to understand a, the difference in the rhythm between God's way and the world's way. And he said this in Romans chapter 12, verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern. The word pattern is another word for rhythm, right? So he says, do not conform to the rhythms of this world, the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, These, the transformation's gonna come by not conforming to the rhythms or the patterns of, uh, around the world. Then he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, there's an indication. What Paul didn't say, but is very much clearly alluded to in this passage is, Paul says, he says, if you want to get God's perfect will, you're going to have to disconnect from the rhythms or the patterns of how the world does things. If you want God's perfect will, again, this challenges me because I feel like I got to prove and test and run and, and race and, and work towards God's goals. And God says, the writer of Hebrews again says that if you rest, God's actually going to pull you towards his goals. His perfect will, that if we, if we adjust to God's rhythms and disconnect from society's rhythms, religion's rhythms, that we can actually get closer, not further away, closer to God's perfect will. So what are some of the world's rhythms, right? We live in a society that celebrates busyness. We live in a society, come on, you have a conversation with somebody and hey, how was your week? Oh, busy. And that's a banner that we just, come on, I'm guilty of it all the time, busy. And that's a banner that we proudly display. Oh yeah, no, I, I was really busy this week. Or we, we celebrate, you know, the workaholics. We celebrate the, you know, you know working hard and long and extra hours and all, all this. We celebrate those rhythms. And we also have devices that we never disconnect from. 
that we're always connected, we're always answering, we're always available. And, and these are some of the patterns and the rhythms of the world that is part of our society. This is not a guilt trip. Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm right. This is, this is my revelation, remember? This is not saying, you know, we're all, I've got it wrong. This is me challenging me and going, man, I, I have come to realize that I've been trapped into the patterns of the world's way of doing things into the rhythms of work, now workaholism, <laughs> um, I've been trapped in that for far too long. And this is where God's kind of just shaking me up a little bit and going, no, no, come on. Let's get attached to God's rhythms. So I want to take the rest of our time today and, and, and for the rest of this series and dive into some of the rhythms that God designed and set up that we probably know about, but we don't know, if that makes sense. Like we can know about something, but you just don't know it. That's head knowledge versus revelation. And I'm hoping like you that this is gonna move from, well, I know that already, or I've read that already, from head knowledge to revelation to where we're trying to adjust all of us and the conversations I've had with many of you verifies that God's kind of working on you in this area too, that we need to disconnect from the rhythms of society, the, the world, and learn how to adjust to God's rhythms. And how do God's rhythms differ from the world? We've got to start right from the very beginning in the Bible, because right in creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right away we see God setting up some rhythms. And one of the rhythms that he set up in Genesis chapter two is it says this in Genesis chapter two, verse two, it says, but what God, uh, but this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, and we know the finished the work that he'd been doing, he just, it just had in Genesis one had created the heavens and the earth and, 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 you know, the animals and the, you know, the oceans and the, I mean, he created all of that in, and man on day six. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. Okay, so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I gotta confess, I've read the creation story thousands of times, pretty much every January. Come on, that's what we start, you know, this is still the exciting part of, of the Bible. You start your Bible plan at the beginning of January. So I've read this thousands of times. Come on, the creation story. But something that, that I didn't focus on or get until I got this revelation of God's rhythms, Jesus talking about rhythms, something that I never noticed before is that in this verse, it says that God declared the seventh day holy because he rested. This is the first thing that God declared holy. This is the first thing. The first thing that God declared holy or set apart. And, and the other thing that I began to realize is that God, God didn't rest because he needed it. Right? God God doesn't need rest. He's God. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He's not quite like a, God didn't rest because he needed it. He rested because we needed it. Because he created a rhythm 
that we would need, his creation would need. George Robinson said this in a quote, and I, I love this. It gives clarity to this thought. He says, but what did God create on the seventh day? Didn't God cease from all of the work of creation, which we just read on the seventh day? What God created on the seventh day, the ancient rabbis tell us was rest. That God created you know, the, everything in seven days, and what God created on the seventh day was rest. And it's, what's interesting is that while God created rest with, within creation, he didn't establish the rhythm of the day of rest or the Sabbath until a couple thousand years later after he rescued the Israelites from slavery. What's, what's fascinating, let me give you, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus 16. But he, what's interesting in, in the story of the book of Exodus is the beginning of the book of Exodus, we discover that the children of Israel have been slaves and enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. I mean, that's a long time. That's longer, much longer than the nation of Canada has been around. That's a long, long time, 400 years. They've been slaves in Egypt. And in Exodus 1, they cry out to God because of the abuse and because of the, the, the turmoil, because of, of what they're having to do as slaves are crying out to God for help. So God um, calls Moses out of the burning bush and all the rest of it to go and rescue and to lead the children of Israel out of slavery into, uh, into the promised land and tells them of their destiny and through all the miracles of, of what happened in, in Egypt and the plagues and all the rest of it so that Pharaoh would let them go and they've crossed the Red Sea and, and miraculously they're now free. Then we pick up the story now um, in in. Exodus chapter 16, and look at this. There's so much revelation in here that just, I've read this again many times, but understanding rhythms and timing and you know, context suddenly made this come alive to me, and I'm hoping, hoping it, it helps you see it uh, too, because this directly applies to you and me. I mean, come on. Verse 1, uh, Exodus 16 says, Then they left Elam and journeyed into uh, the desert between Elam and Mount Sinai, and they arrived there a month after leaving Egypt. So I love how in verse 1 it, it gives us the context, right, that they arrived there, you know, this is immediately after they're free. They've been free for around a month from the moment they left. This is brand new. <laughs> this is brand new freedom. Verse 2 says, There too, the whole community of Israel spoke bitterly against Moses and Aaron. I mean, spoke bitterly. Moses just <laughs> miraculously led them out. Aaron was right there beside him, speaking to Pharaoh, risking their lives so that these guys can go out. And here they are one month in. And they speak out and complain against Moses and Aaron. And here's, here's what I realized in this is that in seasons of uncertainty and insecurity, because, I mean, imagine this. For this generation of people that left Egypt, they've known nothing else of anything else but slavery. And they, can, they were literally free, but they yet weren't free in their minds. And because they had this freedom, and they didn't know, they, they woke up from the moment that they were first born 
to this day, they woke up with someone telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, right? And driving them. And they cried out and said this, they wanted freedom. And they got freedom and they, they faced uncertainty and insecurity. And the first thing they, they did with this feeling, this personal feeling of insecurity and uncertainty is they looked for someone to blame. And this is human nature. It's human nature for all of us to point the finger at, finger at something or someone to blame. Often what is going on in the turmoil that's going on in ourselves, we look for something or someone else to blame. And often, often we blame leaders for our own insecurity or for our own uncertainty or for our own turmoil. It's exactly what it is. It's human nature. Uh, and I point that out because I'm going to read another verse that comes up here quickly that God addresses that very issue. And he says this, uh, verse three says, oh, that we were back in Egypt. <laughs> they moaned. Man, they moaned in Exodus one about please set us free from Egypt and they're set free from Egypt and they've seen it. And they're like, oh, that we were back in Egypt. What? Come on, like put this in the context. You've seen, come on, you've seen some of these movies and slavery and all the rest of it and they get free and are going, wait, you, you wish you were back? What? It would have been better if the Lord had killed us there. At least there we had plenty to eat. Okay. But now you've brought us into the desert to starve us to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. And the people can go out each day and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them in this to see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay, that's, that's, this is a test. Then he says this, tell them to pick up twice as much as usual on the sixth day of each week. Then Moses and Aaron called a meeting of all the people of Israel and told them, in the evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glorious presence of the Lord. He has heard your complaints, which are against the Lord and not against us. He has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. They were complaining about Mo Moses and about Aaron. They were pointing a finger at their leaders, come on. And interesting principle here is that it's a lesson for all of us, come on, that we must be careful when complaining against leaders or, or complaining against someone else or complaining against a spouse or complaining against this in seasons of uncertainty because we feel unsettled, that we're actually not, we might not actually be complaining against our leaders, prime minister, <laughs> come on. You know, we might not be complaining against them. We actually might be complaining against God. Oof. Wow. It, says, it goes on in verse eight. It says, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning for he has heard all of your complaints against him. Yes, your complaints against our Lord, not against us. In verse nine, then Moses said to Aaron, say this to the entire community of Israel, come into the Lord's presence and hear his reply uh, to your complaints. And as, Moses, as Aaron spoke to the people, they looked out toward the desert and within the, the, the guiding cloud, they could see the awesome glory of the Lord. God showed up in, in, in amazing ways. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the people's complaints, okay? Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
That evening, vast numbers of quail arrived and uh, covered the camp. And the next morning, the desert all around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew disappeared later in the morning, thin flakes, white with frost, um, I picture like that's frosted flakes right there. Come on. Covered the ground. Uh, the Israelites were puzzled when they saw this. What is it? They asked. Um, and Moses said to them, it is the food which the Lord has given you. And the Lord says that each household should gather as much as it needs, pick up two quarts for each person. So the people of Israel went out and gathered this food, some getting more and some getting less by gathering two quarts for each person. Everyone had just enough. Amazing miracle. Like, Amazing. Those, because this is three million plus people. What, amazing. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only little had, little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep it, uh, any of it overnight, but of course, I love this, but of course, some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. Because come on, we're just human beings, we gotta always test the boundaries. But then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell and Moses was very angry with them. And the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the food that they picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, there was twice as much as usual on the ground, four quarts for each person instead of two. And the leaders of the people came and asked Moses, why did this happen? And he replied, the Lord has appointed, look at this verse, verse 23, the Lord has appointed tomorrow as a day of rest. Okay, a holy, there's that word again, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake and boil as much as you, you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Okay, this is the first establishment. This is the first time in the Bible and the mention of the Sabbath as a practice for, for people. Okay, and the complete day of rest. It's a complete day. It's interesting that this is in the context of, of God saying, hey, I'm going to prove to them that I am the Lord. I'm going to prove to them I'm, su I'm supply. I'm going to give them specific instructions. He's, that's what he told Moses. Remember early on? I'm going to give them specific instruction about the sixth day that is going to see, that is going to test them. What God is doing here, and this is, this is, this is what rocked my world a bit, is what God is doing here is he's establishing trust. He's establishing trust. And, and the, to me, that's the first lesson that all of us need to learn about the day of rest, about, about the Sabbath, is this is an issue of trust. Do we trust that God is our supply and, and that we can work enough and we should work hard in six days? Do we trust that if we do God's rhythms that it's going to produce as much as if we do the world's rhythms. It, it doesn't make sense to the world to, to set aside an entire day. We can't afford that time. We can't, we can't do that. It doesn't make sense naturally. But if, if this is the Sabbath is all about, and this day of rest is all about trust, and that when God set it up, he set it up because it was, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? And they had to trust that God would be their complete supply. They had to trust that, that on the sixth day, he would provide twice as much. They had to trust that while they couldn't gather extra any other day of the week because it would rot, that when they gathered extra on the sixth day, that it wouldn't rot on the seventh day. They had to trust, come on, 
They had to break the rhythms of the rest of the days in order to get the established rhythm of the Sabbath. It's all about trust. Verse 24 says, The next morning the leftover of food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. And Moses said, This is your food for today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. Gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground for you that day. <laughs> and some of the people went out anyway. <laughs> Come on, we're humans. Some of the people went out anyway to gather food, even though it was the Sabbath day, but there was none to be found. And then this verse says, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? The Lord asked Moses. And then, and then this is what God says to Moses, verse 29. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to us. The first lesson of Sabbath is that it's about trust. The second lesson is that the Sabbath is that it was given as a gift from God to us. Jesus said the same thing in, in Mark chapter two. He said it this way. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath. And he's speaking to, to religious people who are criticizing, you know, him and his disciples that they pick grain. And he's, he's saying, guys, like you got this backwards. And he's speaking to religious leaders who had missed the entire point of the Sabbath. What they did is they turned it around. They, they turned around and used it as religion and, and stole the freedom. Okay. I think it's fascinating the timing of the first time that God brings up the Sabbath. The timing of it is immediately one month after the Israelites got freed from slavery. They were slaves to a system. They were slaves that worked 24-7 at the demands of their slavers. And God's gift to them was a day of rest. They had never in their entire lives had a day of rest. They didn't know. It was unnatural for them, which is probably why some of them went out and gathered. They're like, no, this, this isn't normal. This isn't natural. And trust me, when we start Sabbath, it's not natural. It doesn't, like, I feel like I should be doing something. Come on, us workaholics, let's get real. Like, I should do something. I should do something productive. That rest is not productive. But here's the thing. I think it's fascinating that God used the Sabbath and announced the Sabbath and this rhythm immediately breaking the rhythm of, the, of slavery because the Sabbath, in the third lesson that we can learn, the Sabbath is about trust. The Sabbath is a gift, but the Sabbath is all about freedom. And Jesus chastised the religious who turned the freedom of the Sabbath into another rule and religiously enslaved people to the rules instead of realizing that the Sabbath is created for us as a gift for freedom, right? Uh, and a matter of trust and that they stole that, that religion can steal that too. So it's not a religious ritual, you know, something that, that we have to because it's slaved about. It's about freedom. And when they turned it into a religious requirement, they removed the freedom aspect and disrespected the gift. So here's, here's, my, here's my revelation for those note takers. Lessons on the Sabbath, and I've got so much more I'm gonna share with you over the next 
number of weeks. But these are three lessons that we got just from this passage when the Sabbath was first introduced. The Sabbath is, number one, is a gift. It's a gift from God to us. Okay, it's a present. <laughs> when if someone gave you a present and you looked at the wrapping paper and said, oh, that's so beautiful, I couldn't possibly open it. Come on, anybody done that? Like, I couldn't possibly open, I couldn't possibly. It's a gift. A gift is only good if you receive the gift. You have to realize that this is a present. This is a gift that God gave us. The second thing is that it's about trust. It's about trusting that God is our supply and that every single week when we practice Sabbath and we practice a day of rest, it's re igniting, putting into rhythm, it's reigniting and reminding ourselves that God is my supply. God is in control. I trust you, God. It's every week, it's just kind of setting into the rhythm. Yeah, I trust you, God. It's all about you. It's about, about you being my supply. Not my job, not, you know, not my, my expertise, not my effort. You're my supply. It's about trusting God. And thirdly, it's about Freedom. And here's my revelation. This is where God's messing with me. Is I haven't viewed rest as a gift. I viewed it as a four-letter word. I viewed it as a, a stop and put on hold and a waste of time. I haven't viewed it as a gift so imagine my surprise when I read Exodus 16 and the Sabbath and realizing, whoa, it's a gift. My other revelation is I haven't trusted God enough that when I rest in him, he will pull me towards his goals for me. I haven't trusted him enough to go, now if I stop pushing it's going to put it on hold, not realizing I, I got to trust him that he's going to pull me towards his goals for me. And I have been a slave to society and its celebrations of busyness and hard work. And the rhythm of society is more, I don't know, it's easier to slip into than that. And I've become a slave that, <laughs> that, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and part of their freedom was that, that I've become a slave to the patterns of this world and have ignored the rhythms of Sabbath and rest. And then I read this quote in my studies. Adele Calhoun said this, and man, this hit me right between the eyes. If you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. Ouch. If you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. How, how do you view rest? Next week, we're going to continue with unpacking rest and, and the Sabbath because, man, there's, there are many more surprises that I've discovered in my recent studies. And we're not just going to, today I talked about it is a gift and it's trust. Kind of the psychological uh, understanding revelation that we need heart change, that we need to have in the area of how we view rest. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack on how do, how do we do this? 
with the patterns of this world and when, when our job won't let us and, and when we have kids who don't let us and when we have devices that don't give us a break, how can we practically practice Sabbath today? It's one thing when they were in the desert and everybody put it on, how do we practically practice rest and Sabbath and put it to our rhythms? You're not gonna wanna miss the next couple of weeks because I think I'm not the only one <laughs> that needs to learn these lessons. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, first of all, for your gift of Sabbath, of day of rest. Thank you for creating that. And forgive me for not accepting that gift as I should have. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, give us revelation into what rest is and learn how to do it your way, not just rest, but to rest in you so that we can trust at another level, we can trust you at another level, that we can accept the freedom that you have gifted us. In Jesus' name, amen.